Welcome to this new episode of CX Leadership Talks. And I just recorded the conversation with, well, the world famous Ian Golding. And no, we were not drinking gin and tonics, but we were talking, discussing customer experience management and how to spice it up. And I love to learn his take on the topic of authority. Well, you know, I'm kind of into that lately. And um, we are also talking about that we need to professionalize the voice of the customer. Most of you are already doing that. But how about listening to the voice of the business? Ian shares his thoughts. And of course, there's a lot of theory in customer experience um, and we need to operationalize that. Listen to this brilliant episode and um, enjoy the listen. In the age of the customer, many companies and organizations fall short in meeting the needs and wants of their customers, let alone exceeding them. And it's time to change that. Welcome to CX Leadership Talks. Our passion is to be a catalyst for you and your organization as a customer experience leader to help understand, design, and improve experiences across the entire customer journey and the customer lifetime. It's time to spice up your CX leadership, and we've got the pro who's going to talk you through it. This is CX Leadership Talks, and now your host, Ninka Bloom. So hello, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and videocast. Here he is, Mr. Ian Golding. Hello, Ninka Bloom. It is always hello. lovely to spend time with you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I was I was looking back at how long we already know each other. And um, I think the first time we met was actually on the phone after the CX Masterclass I did. Uh, and I think that was in 2016. Which you didn't uh, do with me. <laughs> no, no, that's a long Which story. But we for our phone. listeners, for our <laughs> listeners, he is the reason that I started an education program myself. I think if he would have been there, it might have it might have gone totally different. So that's also an interesting thing. So Ian, thank you very much for not Absolutely. showing up at that moment. <laughs> it was, um, I think it's interesting because at 2016, I learned for the very first time um, that the CCXP accreditation uh, was in the market. And for me, that was like, I really understand for myself what works with authority. So I thought if I um have the CCXP accreditation, it will help me move forward. So I wanted to go there and looked if there were courses and I found one in the UK um, and there were going to be two teachers and there was you and somebody else. And so I booked it and then I came to the course and you were not there. I wasn't there. No. And it was, I, I it was just, it, it was everything I didn't expect it to be. So it, it, I, it, I was pretty disappointed. And then mm. I sent in a feedback form and you got back to me in like five minutes. So you were like, oops. And you called me back because I thought I'm now I'm not prepared for that exam. It's, 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 I'm not, yeah, this is what I was going for. Um, so I was complaining a little bit before you called to my husband and said, you have to send in, you have to send in the feedback. So I did. Uh, and that's also when my husband said, maybe you should, build your own education program that is at a different standard. And, and maybe this is also where your talent comes in. Well, look at me now, 2023. But uh, so somehow, thank you. But also we build up a friendship. And um, what have we all done together? We've done lots of stuff. So I have been to Utrecht, obviously, um, yeah. and spent time with you and some of the Dutch network. Yeah. But the last time you and I were together in person wasn't that long ago. But it was in no. the beautiful city of Belgrade. 
Yes, the International CX Awards, where you drank a gin and tonic and I did a really fancy red wine afterwards. But also we dressed up in this. I also remember that in the morning, uh, so we we both flew in on, I think, Wednesday. We had a dinner with the whole team of Awards International, which was actually a lot of fun. And then in Wednesday morning, we were picked up by taxi. And driven into the middle of nowhere, (laughs) suspecting that we might be murdered, potentially. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we were we were just out there with a guy in a in, in in I think it was like a Mercedes and it was pretty big taxi but it was family of somebody and he was just driving two places. I also don't know where I'm going and we were just yeah. sitting in the back of that taxi we were like okay it, it this is interesting. <laughs> it was strange. But in the end we hosted the International CX Awards and um I've heard that we're going to do that again this year. I believe we will yeah. be back again. The, so the Belgrade dream team of Ian and Ninka will yeah. be back together again. So, but let's die for everybody um, that doesn't know you, which I don't think that are many. But it's always good. If, if I'm wondering, Ian, if you introduce yourself, what do you say? So my my standard response. Um, in, in fact, I'm going to um, answer that question based on how Jack Golding, my son, says it. And in fact, he has this in his phone. So if I phone my son, what comes up on his screen is Ian Golding, CCXP, Global Customer Experience Specialist and author of Customer What. Honestly, that, that, that's what he puts in his phone for me. So, oh, and that, yeah. <laughs> um, well, and for the people hilarious. that don't know that, yeah, I, I, I took it with me. Customer <laughs> What, it's here. And it's yeah. like the biggest, heaviest CX book I know. It so. is. And it I is. think it's it's a true recommendation for all. So that is how you interest. But what do you do? So in short, two parts to what I do. I share knowledge with us, with anyone that will listen on what I call the science of customer experience. And then if they want me to, I will help them understand how to operationalize it. So part of what I do is sharing knowledge. Part of what I do is helping organizations to apply the knowledge, depending on what they're looking for. And in, in, in a role of like a facilitator or a consultant? Um, or? So it's, a, again, every client is different. Most yeah. of the time it is a combination of facilitation and consulting. Um, yeah. Sometimes it is diagnosing and recommending various things. But the big but here is, I am very, very firmly of the belief that the role of a an external specialist, which is what I call myself, is not to come and do this to you, but it's to help you to do it yourself. So my approach is very much giving people the skills and the capabilities to apply the competencies required to become sustainably customer-centric. When people say to me, can you come in and do it for us? Um, my response will be no. Um, I will help you to understand how you can do this yourselves. Um, but if you want me to do it to you, that is not what I'm going to do because it will not sustain itself. No, I think I think that is very. It 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 really fits with my values when yeah. I do my education. I want to help others understand our trade and 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 be able to do it themselves. Also, give them 
the self-confidence, maybe the insights, and also maybe give them, um, especially with the senior leadership, but that's also often what I see that you are hired for, that's an external partner has a certain of weight uh, yeah, that can help a break. About, um, authority. Yeah, you know, and, authority, and yeah. The need to borrow authority from within, yeah. but also from outside. And uh, I think what a lot of people should recognize is that specialists like us have authority having been in so many different situations and environments around the world that it just gives us the ability to to hopefully enable people to listen to listen yeah. learn and act on some of the things that we'll be able to tell them i love that well it's uh, I always prepare the podcast and this video cast with some questions and now we're already moving on along because I know and what you already told me, I'm more of like the freestyle person. Um, but when I look at um, um, when I started, like I have my education programs and now I have also my masterminds where I yes. uh, guide a, a club like it's now eight CX leaders every time for for like seven months. And um, I help I say I always my program is built around the three A's. So I say accountability. So one of the things is people are lived by their outlook or whatever agendas. And before they know it, a month has passed and they've not delivered what they wanted to deliver, uh, especially when it comes to customer experience, their agenda is just bulldozed with whatever. Um, so I organize that in that program. The second of them is anecdote. I call about the CX story. Um, I will get to back. And the third one is authority. Um, how do you grow your authority? And uh, when I was did my program, uh, we were just talking that. In two weeks, I'm going to go to Harvard again. Mm. I did a program on uh, how power and influence for positive impact. And they really deducted everything around authority. How do you build your own authority? And I like yeah. it. And of course, you can get some external authority, but I would really love our CX leaders to grow their own authority. Absolutely. How do you see that? How do you, what do you suggest our listeners, our watchers when it comes it, to authority? It is critical. Um, and actually, I, I talk to people about three different types of authority. Um, and anyone that's ever heard me rambling, which is the way I describe sometimes the, my, my, my talking about customer experience, will, will, her, will, will have heard me talk about the difference between positional authority, borrowed authority, and earned authority. And the, the critical piece here is the third one, um, because as you've just said, it's vital that we earn the authority ourselves so that we're able to influence the change that is required. But if I just talk briefly through the other two, yeah. in an ideal world, anyone who is charged with driving an approach to customer experience mm -hmm. in an ideal world would sit at the top table. They, they yeah. would sit alongside the CEO, they would have a C-suite title, and they would have the position to make everything happen. Now, as we know, we don't live in an ideal world. And unfortunately, it is very unusual for a customer experience practitioner to be anywhere near the top table. Um, and as a result, very often those who have the ability to um, improve customer experience, to establish an approach to customer experience, they don't have the position to make that happen. So because we need, we're in an environment where that's the case, what we've then got to look at is the other two types of authority, starting with borrowed authority. Again, to your point, whose authority can we borrow that does have the position? Now, 
within the organization that might be a CEO, but actually it might not be. Um, I've been with organizations recently where, obviously, if I'm very careful about what I say, the CEO, in my opinion, hasn't been particularly influential, bizarrely. You know, they, they've not instilled confidence in me that they are someone who can really drive the direction that's required. But yeah. it's not uncommon. And sometimes I think CX professionals think we've got to we've got to get the CEO. It, that isn't always the case. Just because they've got it's the more often than not, it's got more often the than not. Very yeah. often that there's someone else. It could be the CFO. It could be um, someone who's actually been in the organisation a lot longer than the CEO, but who everyone listens to them. But there there will be someone at that top table who, if you're able to leverage their authority, then you may be able to get traction that that is required. Yeah. However, coming back to the point you made, while, whilst borrowing authority is important, it doesn't last very long. You no. know, you, you can only borrow that for a short period of time. It, it, you've, I'm sure, heard the story of me borrowing the authority of a, a chief operating officer when I was in a retail organization. Yeah. Um, after a while, you become quite irritating if you're relying on someone in authority yeah. to push doors open for you. Uh, earning authority is vital. And what that means is that you've got to essentially put your money where your mouth is. You cannot sit and wait to be given permission to do things. You can't sit and wait for change to happen. No. You've got to make it happen. And that's hard, you know, because as we know, most CX professionals to make change happen have to push water uphill. You know, they may have to continually smash their head against a brick wall, that they may have to just annoy the hell out of people to get them to listen. But in the early days of a customer experience transformation, that's what you've got to do. And you've ultimately got to get to the point where your job title becomes irrelevant. If you can get to the point where it doesn't matter what you're, you're called, it doesn't matter how much money you're paid, but everyone wants to listen to what you're saying, that's when you've earned enough authority to be able to influence change. And I believe that anyone can do that, but the only way it works is if your motivation is for the organization to achieve its objectives, you have to put your own personal goals secondary to that. All right, now, now. So you it, see that that often collides? That they conflict. And they conflict because if to an individual, this is about my career. Now, I'll just quantify what I'm qualify what I'm going to say before I say yep. it. We all want to progress in our careers. We all want to make more money. Okay, of course. But if our primary motivation is to get the big job title and the big salary, and that's the most important thing, nothing else matters. What we are doing is to benefit us, not the organisation. It, it is no different yep. to an organisation that is so obsessed with the sales line that it's sales or nothing, you know, they are putting the business before the customer. You know, it, the best, in my opinion, customer experience professionals in the world, they don't care what their job title is. 
they don't care about, you know, it's not about them getting the big bonus. It's about them being able to influence the change that's required. The benefit comes as a result of doing yeah, that. Yeah, it is an output. It is a result. But when I think, when I look, and maybe I also work sometimes in different areas, so we could have a different perspective, but I see so many six professionals that are in it for the good. Uh, the only yes. thing is they sometimes are too much focused on only delivering value for the customer, where I say you also have to deliver value and benefits for the business oh, or the organization. I, 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 so I you have to find that uh, middle ground and then they open their eyes and they're like, oops, I've been too much on the customer yeah. side, which conflicts with maybe some business interests. And, and that's, um, and that, that's yeah. more about capability for me, yeah. you know, because, okay. because you, I agree with you. I've met many people like that as well. Um, it, it tends to be, obviously, customer experience as a discipline attracts people who so passionately believe in doing the right thing for the customer that, you know, yep. nothing else matters. They're blinded, yeah. You know, but, but actually, it, of course, our motivation is to do the right thing for the customer, but not at the expense of the business, you know, but nope. to benefit the business. Ultimately, we want the same thing that leadership wants, and that is to have a successful, sustainable, growing business. The, the yep. difference is, is we want to achieve that by ensuring that there is a very firm focus on doing the right thing for the customer to enable that to happen. And so I think where CX professionals are almost blinded by anything other than customer, it, yep. it, it's, it's either a lack of capability or a lack of maturity without wanting to sound like I'm being patronizing. That no, they, but you've been, you've been in, how long have you been in this space? And I think this is also, I want to be in my podcast. I want to be dead honest. Uh, because if we just keep on going like we're going, yeah. um, it's not fast it, enough. It's not good enough. So I'm one of the, the subtitles of my book is spice up your leadership. Yes. And I think we need to spice it up and also to be, to get the results that are needed for the business, to be more proud in our leadership, yeah. to be more successful, to have more fun, to maybe get out of our comfort zones a little bit or a lot. That's right. It, um, it's we one of the reasons, Major, I've, um, it, you know, my mantra around customer experience measurement has always been to capture and act on voice of the customer, voice of the employee and voice of the process. Yeah. In recent times, I've added a fourth voice. Ooh, for this very money. reason, the fourth voice being voice of the business. Yeah. Because voice of the business represents the nice. strategic business metrics. And and, and which one got, which we, what, what yeah. So you know, profit, revenue, employee yeah. retention, um, cost control. But we as customer experience professionals have got to be able to demonstrate how the three customer led voices are having a positive impact on voice of the business. So, yeah. but again, I think I've had to be more overt in make, getting people to think about that because it, like everything that we talk about, so much of it is obvious, but it is obvious once someone's told you, <laughs> you know, so we, well, we need and it to... is. And, and yeah, <laughs> but I've seen the first customer experience professional that are being uh, uh, dismissed at their jobs or whole teams. McKinsey came in and they said, well, and they've been um, yeah. working a lot on internal stuffies, which is nice, but didn't get the business results. Yeah, that's so right. I really want to um, encourage all the listeners and all the viewers here um, to take a critical look on what are you adding value to the business but do you know 
we, we are in a phase where, and I so say we're in a phase. Uh, I remember in 2018, I wrote a blog. You know, I used to blog all the time. Yeah. Um, I wrote a blog. Where did they go? Was there something else? Well, you, you get to a point where actually, I think people are a bit tired of listening to my ranting. So, um, but I, I wrote a blog called The Seven Year Itch. Now, the reason Ew. I wrote it was because it was the seventh anniversary of the formation of the CXPA. And yeah. most people know that the seven year itch is, is related to marriage. Yeah. Okay. Um, but actually, I, I could have written the blog calling it the eight year itch, the nine year itch, the 10 year itch, because yeah. the itch doesn't go away. But because fundamentally, we are from a customer experience adoption perspective, not in a radically different place in 2023 than we were in 2018. No. <laughs> you know, no, um, and I, I think it's it's it's. Uh, I, I remember when I started my business 2015 um, that I thought the chief customer officer will be there. It, it's going to rise. It's one of the trends. I remember I was speaking at a large conference of Amadeus in Barcelona, and, they, and I said, "Well, the rise of the chief customer officer." I, I still have it in slides, and now we're May 2023. Yeah. It's, it's not happened. It's not yeah. happened. And I yeah. also am going to be honest, it, it's not going to happen. Uh, not I, now. I think you are almost certainly right. It it will happen in pockets, in yeah. isolated incidents. Um, but, it, and this I suppose is where we, we start to, to laser in our focus on the role of leadership in all of this. It, it, uh, unfortunately, we are in a world where change is any kind of change is hard. And yeah. I think fundamentally there are a, a, almost a complete void of leaders who seem to be prepared to approach change in a way that fundamentally adjusts and adapts the way they interact internally yeah. and with the customer. And I know it's easy for me to say as a, an external consultant, I'm not the one that has to do it. Um, but actually, I have been in a world where I've had to do it. You know, I've seen it happen. Yeah. I've seen the change deliver the financial benefit that they're looking for. But But actually, I, I think to a degree, the world of business and the way people are running businesses has almost regressed. You know, in the 90s, so as you know, I'm old enough to have been working in the 90s. In the I think 90s, we are from the same, we are from the same year, I think. We, we are, we are. I didn't want to say that, Ninka, because people can oh. imagine that you're younger than me. Um, uh, you have better lights, no. <laughs> in the 90s, the discipline and rigor around process management, project management, change was there. Yeah. In, in the 2020s, it's gone. You know, it, it's yeah. almost like we call it, it agile. We call it agile. <laughs> I, 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 now you say something. So agile way of working, Ian Golding, what do you think? Um, I'm going to have a zip. So I, I, I'm being completely honest and frank with you. The principle, a hundred percent supportive of it. Is it just about technology? Absolutely not. Um, 
Is the concept of agile new? No. Um, as you know, I used to work for GE in the 90s. Yeah. They had a methodology called workout in the 90s that was exactly the same thing. Um, I, I actually think that agile is a hugely significant thing, but like all methodologies, it needs to be used in the right way. Um, what agile has proven is that you can deliver change quickly. Okay, and there is enough evidence around the world to demonstrate that. Yeah. But we have got to stop productionizing agile. You know, we, we yeah. businesses get excited about productionizing these methodologies, and you know, let's train as many people as we can as scrum yeah, this masters. Is, and, this is know. this is Ian, where I am a kind of jealous. What did agile do so well? That it got all that money, that it got ah, all that budget, that it got. Don't you question. think? What are we? Why? Why did? What can we learn from that as CX? Because I think we need it, to be adaptable. You know what? It, uh, I, I've not thought about that. I've not considered that. That's a brilliant question. No? It's a little bit like health and safety. You know, um, yeah. anyone responsible for health and safety gets all the attention that they could possibly imagine. Yeah. How do they do that? You know, because well, someone would say, well, well, that's easy because you know, if someone falls down the stairs and breaks their neck, you know, we're we're going to be liable. Yeah. yeah. But but if you continually deliver bad experiences, you'll lose millions. So, so yeah, problem. you're you're going to be what, with what, your head on TV what, what, in a consumer program different? or whatever. So, I I don't know, Ninka. I think it's a brilliant question. I'd I'd love yeah. anyone listening to this to to provide answers to that question give is us it, your tips is it a great marketer i i don't know is it someone who i don't know i, I don't know is the answer but i think yeah. maybe and this is that this is possibly the answer i think agile has almost been packaged to make it sound quite simple and doable uh, i think arguably if i'm completely honest i think our profession as a whole in the way customer experience is adopted, so often it's been radically overcomplicated that it gives the impression that customer experience is difficult. And that may subconsciously be the issue. Agile, yeah, it's also, I've, I've been, yeah. easy, you know, we can demonstrate the benefits straight away. We've implemented a physical thing, done. Customer yeah. experience, oh God, yeah, we did that a few years ago and nothing happened. So yeah. it's so hard. It doesn't work. That that I think is possibly the 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 issue. Isn't it interesting? I've been I've been like I mean on the side. I've been thinking, what did they do so smart? What can we learn from it? Like it was lean. Now it's agile. I'm also curious what's going to be the next. But let's well, uh, well, inevitably there will be something else. Yeah, but, of course, but, of course. I hope it will be customer experience. Simple, simple is the yeah. answer. Simple. What can we? Uh, let me give you a, right, a, now. a quick story, just very quickly. Yes. I, I presented to a board of directors yesterday. They have had <laughs> consultants and in the past to help them from a customer experience perspective. Um, the organisation is very old. Okay, it's been around a very long time, and one of the board members said, "When when we put a visualisation of the customer journey on the screen." He said, that is the first time I have ever seen a journey presented, so it actually makes sense. And I can tell you, Ninka, you know my approach to this. It is very simple. And that's the point. You know, we are, I think, blinded by complexity and pretty looking pictures. And 
I think almost there is a history of leaders thinking if you spend a lot of money and you get those pretty pictures, it looks it looks good. You know, but even saying it, I sound like I'm what an idiot. Well, why would you think that that's sensible? But as I've said to you before, you do not get fired for bringing in one of the big consultancies. But no. what does it actually achieve? Well, that's a different matter. Mm. I agree. I agree. And I think we're talking about simplifying. And uh, um, we were talking about authority before, and you gave us uh, positive, uh, positional borrowed and earned authority. Um, I'm going to send you one of the earlier episodes where I talk about authority and what I learned at Harvard, because they talk about positional, relational, and personal authority. And it uh, gives another dimension. Yes, so yes. I'm going to send that to you okay, to listen, to uh, yeah. because uh, it's it's a different perspective, but it, it especially the positional part uh, uh, aligns. Mm. But I'm also talking about the second one is the anecdote. So, and, and you talk about simple, and this is one of I, things I see that as a CX leader, well, anecdote, I call it the CX story. You have to have a very good story. And that's not just a little story, but this is the, for me, a CX story has four elements, your personal element, like what's, why do you do it? So to engage people to have, or a transformation part. The second part is the sense of urgency. Where are we now? Where are we heading? Why do we have to work on it? So people get like, and where is it aligned with the business strategy? And the third part is your CX strategy. What are we going to do? What strategies are we moving on? Uh, for example, at KPN, my CX strategy was we have to bring, like I said, an urgency, MPS from minus 14 to two. And our strategy is going to be we're going to listen to customers and really going to go on friction hunt to improve. We're going to improve our customer journey, brand delivery in the customer journey. So we work on large projects so we can deliver on our brand values. And the third one, grow a customer-centric culture. And everybody understood what we were going to do and understood where who mm. of my team was doing what. So it is personal story, sense of urgency, your CX strategy, and then a call to action. Yes. Um, it's now my fifth mastermind. So it's like five times eight. So it's the 40, now 40 people. And most of them in the beginning, when I asked them, so they present it. And now I'm curious also for you. So sorry for the long buildup. But I've seen overcomplicated stories where people make it so difficult and other people have customer experience where it's not going to work like this. We're not going to do it. It's too difficult. The stories are too corporate, smorporate. So they are too complete. They have everything in it where, so there's so much detail that people are like, I also don't know yes. what to do. And they don't have a call to action. Yeah. So what do you see? I think simplifying is a great word for it, but what do you, what is your opinion to this? CX story, CX strategy part. So I, I completely agree. It, it, the word I used earlier, and I will say it again, in addition to simplifying is operationalizing. You know, yeah. um, it, it, it sounds like a very boring word <laughs> and a very sort of consultancy word. But from a an organization perspective, whether it be a public sector organization or a commercially driven business, it's all about putting the theory into practice. And I, yeah. I think one of the things, again, that our profession, it needs to be very honest with itself. It's probably spent far too much time theorizing and not enough time demonstrating how to operationalize that theory. And how do you put it into practice so you can understand where those benefits come from and how do you actually make it happen? What's required? Because in addition to 
operationalizing it, if you're going to operationalize it, you need governance. You know, yep. you need structure and governance. You need the organization to understand who is accountable for this and what is it that these individuals need to do. That point about call to action, what we cannot assume is that everyone is a self-starter. <laughs> you know, it, we, we, we cannot just think, oh, it's all right. We've talked about this now. Everyone will just go off and do stuff. But it doesn't happen like that. We've got to be much and this is where that sort of discipline of the 90s needs to come back again. We need to be very, very clear about who is accountable, who is responsible, and what is actually going to happen. And when is it going to happen by? Nothing I'm saying is rocket science. You know, this is basic, no. basic stuff. But the basics are not being done. And, and this is, is it, what's so frustrating. Is it that people maybe are too hopeful? They, they um, no, think that no, now I, I'm I, telling this to people and then they understand and go do it. No. And, and what I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously, because there yeah, are yeah, individuals who yeah. aren't like this. There but are. No, there, of course. I, I think it is. It, it's not that they're hopeful. I think it's more that we are because of the nature of the way businesses have evolved. It is a combination of an increase in siloed working and. Yeah. Um, as a result of siloed working, a focus on individual or team objectives rather than uh, an overarching yeah. focus on a what the organization or, is trying yeah. to achieve. So yeah. leaders actually, they get it. They totally understand it. But if they're going to be rewarded on numbers related to stuff their team is doing, you know, what are they going to focus on? <laughs> they're going to focus yeah. on the numbers that are going to give them their bonus. That, and and that. It, it, interestingly, I, I, when I presented yeah. to this board of directors um, uh, yesterday, uh, uh, I was making a comment about the way organizations are measuring voice of the customer. And I know you will agree with me. Many, many people will. Most organizations are measuring voice of the customer badly. Um, they are jumping to entirely the wrong conclusion. Um, this guy didn't did not like that comment. And now he didn't like the comment because his VOC was, yeah. scores are very high, all right? And I know they're very high. And I said, well, look, I, I, I'm not commenting specifically on you because I haven't seen them and I don't know how you're measuring it and blah, blah, blah. But the the defensiveness now, but he was being defensive because A, he's proud of those numbers. B, he's rewarded on those numbers. And what he doesn't want is someone like me telling him that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, so. no, and that's but and and it's also but I and that's what I found, um, especially with the people that are maybe in in the field for a long time and protecting their heritage, um, which of course is 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 logical. But you have to keep a critical look: Am I measuring the right thing? Am I getting the right results? But also, do I give the right input? Because it's nice that your whatever uh, your your CSAT is seven point eight and everybody yeah, yeah. is lol lol asleep. Come back to but the right thing any, again, Minka. Yeah. That the key word, and we we mentioned this earlier. The right thing is the issue, okay? Because how do we define the right thing? Is it the yeah. right thing for the organization? Is it the right thing for the customer? Is it the right thing for the leader? You know, everyone's got their own interpretation of what the right I thing love means. That. What is <laughs> All right, well, maybe but, the suggestion has to be from us as experts and uh, maybe leaders in the field to have that conversation. Um, I don't know how would you think about it, but I think um, 
everything has to go so fast nowadays that time for a good conversation um, and, to, and to really deep dive on and what do we really mean? Um, what is the right thing? I think it would be so valuable to, to learn from the C-suite, yes. from the middle yes. management, from customers from so what is the right thing exactly and this this also comes back to another thing that that i'm really keen to get across which is um the confidence strength and ability to stop doing things you know i i think one of the 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 additional byproducts of the way organizations have evolved over time with this desire for complexity and granularity is that we've become so overcomplicated the amount of work that's being done that actually we shouldn't be doing at all is astonishing and if organizations just stopped doing that stuff i I think the impact would be amazing i have not mentioned until last year the words time and motion study since 1999 okay i have not mentioned those words in last year it suddenly occurred to me that what most businesses need to do is for one week get every employee to write a diary of everything that they do during that week and how much time they spend doing it and i think you will be astonished how much non-value added activity they're working on and if actually you can identify it Stop it. (laughs) You know, we live in a world right now where everyone tells me they're stretched. We're all stretched. Everyone's so busy. Yeah, but you're stretched because I guarantee you that a significant proportion of the time, your people are doing things they don't need to be doing. You know, yeah, I just read in uh, in Harvard Business Review uh, about busyness, and that busyness is not is not something to be proud of. No, that you, you're oh, we're so busy. No, busy is actually something that you don't have your time management ready. Well, maybe to make it small again for the leaders that are listening to us, and and maybe to make it practical. What kind of tip do you have for the leaders? So uh, I I think that is that that ability to identify non value added activity which again is not a new concept, I think it is a very good thing to consider. Something I have done with organizations in the past, because it, 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 I almost combine this message with a focus on employee engagement. I have in physical offices put dustbins, big metal dustbins in the middle of the working space with a flip chart next to it. And on the flip chart I've written, If there is anything that you've done today that if you stopped doing it, it would have no negative impact on the customer, on the business or on you, write it on a sticky note and chuck it in the bin. All right. Now, when I've done this for the for the first few days, everyone looks at it and thinks as soon as the first person puts something in, boom, it's like a field day. But but the thing is, it's not guaranteeing to people that you're going to stop doing all of this stuff but it's getting people to think do you know what why am i printing that report and sticking it in a file well because i that that's what i was told to do 10 years ago yeah, but does anyone yeah. do anything with it is it needed no so why well, are you doing it talk then? about reporting <laughs> i think for the cx leaders that are listening 
Um, I had one guy in my, in the, in the, in the online time when I did my masterclass in the COVID time. Um, and I was hosting my masterclass and the module on, uh, metrics. And we're talking about reporting and I'm really stressing always how important it is that you look who the report is for. What, what do they, what are they going to do with it? What's your call to action? What do, so, right. and there was a guy in the, in the audience. I think there was 14 people and one guy was turning totally gray. So the session was over. I decided to call him. I thought he's sick. And um, I called him and he said, I said, are you okay? He said, I just noticed that for the last three years, I've been sending a report that I create that takes me about a week to make. And I send it to 80 people. And actually my message is find your numbers. And I just have realized that nobody is reading my but, report. But you know what? That That's a good thing. It's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. It's an aha it. moment because he's going to stop. Exactly. But I think we should be, especially on the reporting stuff. It oh is God. something that other leaders do when they don't know that it's a send me a report. And I think for the CX leaders that are listening, we can say to them, then, okay, do you say that's a good idea, but let's have a conversation first. What is it needed for? Yeah. What does it need to be in? Yeah. What actions are you going to take? Fundamentally, um, and also, Inca, yeah. we, we need people need to have time to breathe. All right. Yep. At the moment, we're White in a space. business world where no one has got time to breathe. But nope. if we can get rid of some of this stuff, reporting, unnecessary processes, reworking stuff that goes wrong yeah. rather than stopping it from going wrong, not only does it give people time to breathe, it then gives us the capability and capacity to fix the real priorities in the customer journey. You know, The reason things aren't changing is because we haven't got time to change anything. Because we're too busy, just constantly, just yeah, getting. It's on like with- the hamster. Get out of the hamster wheel. What I um, what I suggest people to do is to print out their agenda of the last month, and to take some stifts in different colors, and to say, um, like the green stift, this really added value to our three most important projects. Um, what is personal, and then the other stuff, Absolutely. market red, and then see. Where could you just not show yeah. up or make the meetings the half? And don't be such a, a brave heart and just, yeah, just don't show up for those things. Yeah. You have plans to do. You have, um, but we time is running really, really fast. It's crazy. And uh, maybe well, we're going to do later in the year. I. We're going to do. Yeah, that's what well, I love. I love. I love it. Um, I, I think it's important when we I ask two questions every time uh, the podcast is run. And uh, the first one is um, for, for you. What is a habit that you developed and practice that really delivers CX results? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say without question that whether it be as an employee on the inside or a practitioner on the outside, experiencing the experience from the customer perspective of the organization I work in and with is essential. So as soon as you walk into the room, you know how it feels to be a customer. Um, so I think we, we always need to be prepared to go through exactly the same thing customers do. Um, and it, it, coming back to that point about authority, immediately it gives you authority. It's amazing how many leaders yeah. within an organization still have never experienced what their customers do. So, um, 
everyone needs to yeah, do. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have um, an episode later in the year about customer-centric leadership, not about customer experience leadership, but about that part in, in, on culture. But I think this is, and, it, and, and, and when I look at your model, it gives you the earned authority because then you know what you're talking about and they cannot yeah. uh, disagree. So I love that. Then my last question, Ian, what is a book, a podcast or a video that you recommend the listener to spend time on to spice up their leadership? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so my, my first comment will be, I, I'm a massive fan of Simon Sinek. Um, yeah. And anything that Simon Sinek has ever produced or published on leadership, I think is absolutely worth following. But the um, other individual who I think people should look into, because that there is a brilliant video, which I'm sure I can send you the link, Ninka, so maybe you can... That would be that great, to yeah, record. to put it in the show notes. There is a brilliant video that, that is a, an animation of a conference speech delivered by a man called David Marquet, um, M-A-R-Q-U-E-T. Um, David Marquet used to be the captain of nuclear submarines in the U.S. Navy. Um, but what he talks about is the importance of giving people time to think. It's brilliant. And if you, if you do nothing else and you spend nine minutes watching that video, not only will you love it, if you make your leaders watch it, some of them will feel very uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, I, I will send you the That's link. Good. Link. Uncomfortable. We're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to try to see. But Ian, thank you so much. For me, what did I take away? Um, I, I always write. So sometimes people were like, what's she doing? Is she showing her head? Your vision on authority, that it's positional, borrowed and earned. Um, that uh, um, you get the, not only the voice of the customer, the voice of the employee and the voice of the process, but also the voice of the business, looking at profit, revenues, those elements. That unfortunately, the seven-year itch became a 12-year itch. <laughs> um, um, that we made it too overcomplicated and we need to simplify. So simplify and operationalize. Um, do the right thing and discuss what the right thing and what we need to measure. And uh, thank you for your insight on your habit mm. to tap into the experience that the customer's experience is always before you enter the room and to go watch that video of David Marquet. Um, Brilliant. And um, I want to thank you so Always much. a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And thank I look forward you. to the next time, Ninka. <laughs> You've been listening to CX Leadership Talks. Ninka is a customer experience speaker and educator. She has written books and spoken and educated leaders all around the world. She's one of the global thought leaders in the field. We hope you've enjoyed this show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can also find us on YouTube and LinkedIn and NinkaBloom.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on CX Leadership Talks.